if you manage to stay in business when everyone else goes out of business in your segment of your market, that is when you make the big money. Welcome to the 10K Collective podcast for six, seven and eight figure Amazon and e-commerce sellers, part of the amazing FBA podcast family. If you want to scale fast, target a seven figure exit and enjoy the process, then keep listening. Do you want to grow your business bigger and faster? A free audit of your Amazon business can help you see and avoid threats and find missed golden opportunities. I generally charge $150 or more per hour, but this would be free. You could be a reseller or a brand owner. All I ask is that you're doing a few thousand dollars a month in sales already. Just visit myamazonaudit.com, scroll down, click on Amazon Audit and book in a time. That's M-Y-A-M-A-Z-O-N-A-U-D-I-T.com. Look forward to speaking to you on your audit. Hey folks, welcome back to Amazing FBA. Today we are talking about a crappy subject, which is e-commerce sales decline. Not only from 2021 to 2022, does it look like e-commerce in absolute terms relative to itself declined? which is kind of alarming if you are in e-commerce. But it looks like, to me, I haven't seen the macro figures, but I've seen a lot of businesses that I work with in the mastermind. And I've also seen businesses I've been reviewing that are for sale, the profit and loss accounts, therefore quite detailed insights. I've seen a lot of those having a year-on-year decline from 2022 to 23. Obviously, we're only halfway through 2023. I'm recording this in August. So really the data, I've seen this for the first half Q1, Q2, so to the end of June. And we obviously don't know about Q4 2023, which for a lot of us will be where the big money is made. But I think it's fair to say that I'm seeing pretty stark declines if you compare January to January of 2022 to 23, Feb to Feb, et cetera, year on year, accounting therefore for a bit of seasonality. It's not looking good. And even the last few months as well. Now, that may not be true for all businesses, of course. So some businesses are struggling, some are thriving. So I think it's worth looking into what is going on, what the problems are, trying to define the big picture problems before we micromanage our way out of a big problem. Of course, you're not going to do. You won't micromanage your way out of a big problem. You just have a, a big problem that you are now very actively trying to solve at the wrong level. So let's get into it. So we talked uh, last episode in some detail about the big picture. And I think it's important to see the big picture just before we get into the detail here, because if you are a surfer and you are amazing at surfing, but the water has receded from the beach where you're at and it's two miles out and you've got to go home in, in you know three hours and the tide won't be back in. Your surfing skills are irrelevant because the waves aren't there to ride. We talked about the tsunami last time. Maybe this is like the opposite of tsunami. So you've got to get the big picture right. If you don't get it right, then the, all the tactical excellence you put into sourcing really good products, pricing them well, and you know, making sure your listings are up to scratch and your keyword research is good. Those are super important things, by the way. But if you are, you know, fishing with great expertise with the right bait and the right fishing rod, but you are in a pool where there's no fish or there's like ten thousand other fishermen, then you're in the wrong place. So we need to, you know, be a bit more intelligent than that. So let's talk about competition. One of the problems we've got, the demand side is is problematic at the moment. But one of the other problems you've got is competition, because if there were no competition, we'd still be 
you know, there's still demand. It may be lower than it was, but if there were no competition, we'd be making out like bandits. And by the way, just to sort of cut to the end of the story here, you know, to give away the, the spoiler alert, if you manage to stay in business when everyone else goes out of business in your segment of your market, that is when you make the big money, right? That is when you make the huge money. I remember one of my guests, he was in the software, you know, actually running marketplaces, e-commerce marketplaces. Ken Burke built a company he sold for over a billion dollars. I mean, seriously great entrepreneur, but he said that he had a horrible time, like any tech businesses in 1999, 2000, and then a couple of grim years. And then in 2003, four, five were his biggest years ever. Why is that? Because his competition had disappeared. So you can have the equivalent of that in your industry, but you've got to survive the next period, right? So that's the prize at the end of the rainbow. Coming back to today and declining prices and declining revenue. If the market as a whole is shrinking, you are going to have to take market share off your competition. When you say it like that, it sounds really obvious, doesn't it? But what most e-commerce entrepreneurs do that I see is that they compare their sales with last, you know, what I did, you can compare year on year, month on month with themselves, as it were, as opposed to looking at your market as a whole. So one of the solutions is to try and differentiate when you have lower sales than you had last year, last season, last whatever comparison point is, differentiate between is the market as a whole for that shrinking on Amazon, if that's where you sell or wherever you sell, same principle, or is your market share shrinking, but the market's still static or even possibly still growing? Some markets are still growing. If you're selling really great value food right now, you're probably making a killing because obviously you know, Lidl, for example, the, the retailer at physical stores, mostly they're not online, but they probably will be at some point are taking market share off um, other people. And Tesco's is holding up pretty well in the UK because food prices have gone through the roof and people need to eat. So broadly speaking, demand isn't going to shrink to zero, but demand for overpriced stuff will. So anyway, you get the idea. So really important to differentiate between the size of your market and whether it's growing, shrinking or static and your market share. And only then can you get a, a bit of a handle on how you're performing. And then if you are in a static or declining market, which many of us will be, if you're in the UK or US as well at the moment, I'm seeing, then you're going to need to take market share off them. So that's the first thing, you know, think about the market share. So, you know, you've got a, a delusion problem and the solution is, you know, be aware of market share. If you want to see the notes, don't forget to go over to amazingfba.com and you will see all of that under the podcast. I do pretty detailed notes these days. So next problem you've got, the, one of the reasons you may be losing market share or not gaining market share is because you are out of touch with the consumers. Now, if you had a product that worked three or four years ago and you've ridden that wave, fantastic, good for you. But now you need to see that the consumers may have changed their preferences. For example, it could be that diversity is you know, now more important than it was four years ago. I would argue it probably is in marketing. And I'm, this isn't a political podcast, so I'm not going to get into whether you like it or hate it. It's a reality of a lot of marketing. If you look at a lot of the corporates, they are including a lot more people of ethnic minorities than even a few years ago. And uh, that may be something you want to consider, like BAME or whatever the, the, the buzzword of the moment is. Or, you know, that's a subset of a bigger picture analysis of who are actually your customers. It could be the opposite, by the way. It could be a bunch of old middle-aged white guys like me that are buying your products and you thought they were young beautiful 20-year-old women or something, in which case you need to have 
people that are maybe, you know, this is a, again, a bigger discussion we've had elsewhere on the podcast. You may need to find an aspirational version of who your consumer is. In other words, I'm a middle-aged white guy, but I'm a bit overweight and necessarily beautiful. You may need to find some very good looking middle-aged white guy, but that is a bit more of an aspirational version of me, right? For example, or you may be selling to black female, 21 year old entrepreneurs or 75 year old men or whatever it is, you get the idea. So being clear about your demographic is really, really important. Being clear about changes in that is just as important because it could be that your packaging is out of date. If your style is out of date, particularly if you're in fashion, but generally speaking, if the, the packaging looks dated, which it often does, I've had that in the past. I'm not great on visual designs. Get somebody in who's really good at this, who has a feel for the zeitgeist, the feel of the times, and get that sorted. Now, a related problem, but not quite the same thing, is that you, you're pretty much the same as a competition. Now, if you've been literally private labeling products, that is to say, sticking a label, branding, packaging on something that you've got from somewhere else, that's not in itself a problem, except that everyone else is probably doing that now. So you probably will need to tweak the design of products or even go to the problem of, of go to the trouble of creating a custom designed product. The main thing is this, don't do it in a vacuum. You need to really do a few things that most of us as Amazon sellers find hard because Amazon doesn't let us talk to our consumers. I mean, they're Amazon's customers. So market research for Amazon sellers tends to mean keyword research. And it should do, and that's really, really important. I'm not saying you shouldn't deep dive into, you know, what if your preferred thing, brand new young seller tools is very good. If you've got the money for it, Helium 10 is a good standby. Jungle Scout's also pretty decent. I haven't used Jungle Scout personally for a few years, but it is what Brandon Young's building his system on now. So I guess either they got a, a massive deal of vaccines. I, I don't know the, the details. don't know Brandon personally, although I should get him in the podcast, actually. Anyway, whichever your tool of preference, great, but that's just keywords. They're really important, but people type keywords. You need to get in touch with customers. So a few things uh, to do. I think, first of all, talk to them in person if you can. If you don't have any kind of feeling for or connection to consumers such that you never talk to anyone in your consumer market, up till now, that's worked okay for some of my clients. I'm not being purist about it. When I knew a person who sold dog dog supplements for a while and didn't even have a dog. Okay, fine. But it helps you know, if you do know people in your target market. I think you need to validate a couple of things. I mean, first of all, products and also marketing, particularly images. So you can do that super easily using PicFu, which I, about which I interviewed the, the one of the co-founders of PicFu on the podcast a while ago. I can put a link in the show notes. Really great idea. And you need to develop a strong brand identity. Now, what does that even mean? I mean, what does it mean is, is obsessing about the logo design. I mean, you should get a beautiful looking logo. I'm not saying that's not important if you're developing a decent brand, but make sure it resonates with your market. And again, in difficult consumer times, what resonates may not be what resonated even, you know, during the pandemic and what resonated a year before that, where we've had violent changes in society, in life, in daily life. Over the last, say, five years, right? Five years ago, it's 2023 when I'm recording this, mid-23, mid-2018, interest rates were, you know, practically zero if we're in the world. Inflation was around 2%. There was no pandemic. E-commerce was booming. Retail was booming a, a bit less. If you fast forward to March 2020, no, let's say August 2020, the world's lockdown, what well, UK certainly was, most of America varied a bit, 
Europe certainly was. E-commerce was making out like a bandit. My my clients who were in the right segments, which is many of them, or that was completely dead, like clients who were in the travel sector. And I've spoken since and to people who are in um, e-commerce outside of Amazon in the travel sector and where, you know, raised a million pounds in investment and then oh, absolutely killed. So that's one situation. But the government in the UK is pouring money into, what do they call it? The bailout, whatever they call it. It wasn't a bailout. The helicopter money was in America. It went direct to consumers. And then here we, we had furlough. That was it. So you paid people to not work, which is kind of odd, but I guess necessary. So look, suddenly a lot of people had a lot of money to spend that wasn't predictable. You know, a year before, if you'd said there's a pandemic, you wouldn't necessarily expect the government to throw money at the problem. And then, of course, you've had inflation. You can argue about what the causes of that are. I'd say printing money leads to inflation. That's the kind of monetarist view, plus all the supply side shocks on the back of the Russia and Ukraine war. We talked about that in the last episode. I won't go into that. But the point is that the pain points that consumers have now are probably different in the UK, particularly, or the US, based on the inflation rates probably different from even three months ago. And based on the, sorry, based on the interest rate, I should say, which in both countries is getting higher now. And in the UK, particularly the inflation rate over the last 12 months and the uncertainty that creates as well. So don't assume you know your customers' pain points because the very same customers you've been serving for maybe years, they have very different kind of pain points that they need addressing now. People who are middle-class, wealthy consumers, and they've been wealthy really probably since at least 2010. Do you want to grow your business bigger and faster? A free audit of your Amazon business can help you see and avoid threats and find missed golden opportunities. I generally charge $150 or more per hour, but this would be free. You could be a reseller or a brand owner. All I ask is that you're doing a few thousand dollars a month in sales already. Just visit myamazonaudit.com, scroll down, click on Amazon Audit, and book in a time. That's M-Y-A-M-A-Z-O-N-A-U-D-I-T.com. Look forward to speaking to you on your audit. When we last had a recession, may suddenly be feeling the pinch. I mean, the last time we had interest rates at this level, I remember I took out a mortgage, buy-to-let mortgage in 2006, and it was about 5.49%, and that was average. Um, now that counts as a lot because people have doubled or tripled the size of their mortgages, right? So don't assume. Talk to people through every means, digital and physical. Let's move on to the next one. Intense competition tends to lead to high customer acquisition costs. There is no really easy solution to this, but I mean, one of the things you've got to do is simply balance out the customer, what do you call it, the acquisition costs versus the um, average order value. Now. If you work in your own consumer, direct to consumer site, you have a lot more control over that pathway. On Amazon, you have less, but you can bundle things together. You can make products that are bigger or higher value so that each click may be costing you more money than before because people are window shopping. So the conversion rate is probably lower. Your, comp- your competitors are probably dying as well. So they're bidding on more keywords and driving up the post- cost per click. So both of those things drive up the cost. So, the f- so your competitors bidding drives up the cost per click, probably. And then the conversion rate drives up your cost of acquiring customer or making that first sale. Now, if you sell on Amazon, let's not delude ourselves. By the way, you're not really acquiring a customer. Amazon's just serving a customer there. Amazon's customer, okay, sadly. But you can influence that equation. It's not necessarily on the cost side, but you can influence on the added value side. So if you have marginal products but they lead through, for example, if you sell something at break even that is like a, a, a very small 
one pack or a small version of something, or if you're selling, I don't know, something that you sell in a, a bottle, maybe it's like a tiny one fluid ounce or whatever it is, 120 milliliters. I don't know what one fluid ounce translates is, but you know, a few, a small bottle. And then you sell the bigger bottle and your bigger bottle in the other listings in a parent child relationship that can work really, really well. So if that's working for you, keep going. But the overall system, so in this case, the parents ASIN level. So that includes all the variations of a product overall should still make profit in my opinion, right? If you're overall not making profit on that mini system is still not working in my opinion. So how to do that? Well, you may have sold like a micro, let's say a one fluid ounce bottle of something, and then maybe you sold two of those bottles or a bigger bottle, and that was previously profitable for you. Maybe now it isn't. So in which case then don't sell that. I mean, sell a, a loss leader if you must, but then make sure the other things are good enough value such that your consumer in difficult times still perceives it as value and you still make a profit. Run the numbers and don't assume on the numbers. That's the other thing you got to do. So that is a profit um, question. And we are dealing with that in a different ep um, episode because I promised myself I would focus on one thing. There's so much to say, but we're going to keep it about sales generation today. Okay. So let's assume that you got somebody's attention or you could have somebody's attention. You appreciated a beautiful listing. You spent a load of money on ads. You made a load of sales and then you got out of stock. Happens every day of the week. Hey, to somebody somewhere and it happens to all the e-commerce sellers at least once a season, if you're lucky on some of your best sellers, right? It's a black art to manage your stock and you're never going to be perfect, but you must have a systematic way of doing it. If you've been surviving without that until this point, then you have no choice anymore. You've got to get good at this. Okay. Do not get out of stock on your best sellers is the rule. Obviously, it's really hard to do that. You need to use analytics data to forecast uh, demand and optimize the inventory levels. You may need to borrow or in invest to get deep stock in best sellers. Now, borrowing is not an easy word when interest rates are high, but remember supply credit is the the phrase I would use, the Chinese in particular are an interesting place. And again, it's more of a profit question, right? But it relates to going out of stock, which is a sales question because you've got no stock, you've got no sales, right? So the Chinese are going through deflation right now in price in China, which is really unusual. Strange things are afoot. They had COVID, they've come out of COVID lockdown, but they still got problems. A lot of ill people in China, but they're also a lot of there's a lot of falling out with the US, and the US is not really making life easy for the Chinese. So the, the US obviously implemented the tariffs several years ago in what 2016, 17, 18 on goods coming from China into the US. But also, you know, they're, they're retooling. The US is producing stuff, and they are in big talks with the, the Japanese, and the Japanese are just beginning to become the place where big Euro American companies are going to go and get stuff made. So things are changing. So if you have a Chinese supplier, you can probably go back and get pretty good deals with them. Now, it's a strictly speaking, not about revenue generation here, but cash flow thing. If you get supplier credit, if they give you credit, then you can probably, you know, your cash flow may be such that you can afford to buy deeper stock, which means you don't have stock, which is a sales thing, right? Plus, obviously, if you negotiate with them, you can get a lower price, which means you may be able to pass on the savings to the consumer and make about the same amount of profit, which means, of course, the consumer are more likely to buy your products. A better conversion rate means more, more revenue, right? So if we're talking about revenue driving. There's a lot that you can do with your supplier. So credit 
I mean, borrowing sounds bad, but credit sounds okay when you got the word supplier attached to it, right? Because it's generally free as well. Now, that's the main thing here. Now, let's talk about price. So if you, assuming that you have actually managed to get somebody's attention, get them to the point where they've got to your listing and you've cut through the noise and differentiated yourself from the competition, you've done a lot of work, you've achieved a lot, but you're not there yet, haven't even made a sale yet, really because there is price pressure and information parity. Now, the problem you have online, especially on Amazon, is is it's a transparent transparent market or what they call a perfect market. Not perfect for you as a seller, but perfect information is the, the sort of theory of markets. And I guess the stock market is one of the most perfect information markets out there. Although, yeah, you could argue that's not really how it works, but you know, it's a theory, right? And I would say Amazon is more perfect market in some ways because people don't do so many irrational things. It's more of a rational basis for buying in some ways on Amazon. I mean, it's, it's irrational consumer driven behavior. It's impulse driven, but it's also, you know, price is, is a thing people can compare there. So if you don't have clear differentiation points and your product looks about the same as everyone else, and most people have pretty decent listings these days, they've got like nine images. I mean, that really has changed. Not to my surprise. I mean, when the aggregators came in and bought a load of uh, businesses, I thought, well, they're going to really professionalize the, the marketing and they have, and then everyone else has come up to scratch. So now, I mean, I don't know if the aggregators, the only drivers, they're one of the, 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 I don't know, part of a trend, right? So you can't rely on that. And if you don't really differentiate your product in a clear way, in a compelling way, again, talking about what we're doing, talking about before in it, speaking to specific con consumer pains in a really compelling way that ties into where we're at right now in the economic cycle, not where you were six months ago, 12 months ago, let alone two years. If you don't do that, then the only same way anyone can compare something that's pretty much looks the same to a consumer has a similar level of reviews and everyone else, let's face it, so many markets, everyone's got 4.6 stars or something. Like then you're going to be shopped on price. How else can they compare you? So solutions. I mean, you need to adjust prices. I think that's the first thing. Use um, somebody that can help you do that. I would say Eva is probably still the best marketing software out there for that. And um, there are other people, I mean, pricing software, excuse me. There are other people. You can do it manually. If you've got a small catalog of 10 SKUs or something, it's probably best to do manually. But you need to up, say competitive with other retailers, but you also need to you know, see the profit gaps because especially if you're coming up to Christmas, if you are in the giftable market or most, most industries, but if you're in certain things now is your peak season. So if you're in outdoor stuff, camping, sports, particularly if you're in the US, now is your peak season probably. And you may be able to get more profit than you think. Hey folks, thank you so much for listening to today. E-commerce sales decline was a sort of headline because that may be what you've been experiencing. But to flip it on its head, we're looking at 10 strategies to boost your sales and strategy is the right word. People use the word strategy, meaning in my view, tactic, meaning small, simple, quick, very local effects. What I'm talking about is the big picture stuff, which is awkward, fluffy, and difficult. You're still going to be willing to get in there and make some difficult decisions. And then the big picture decisions, I think, are what drives the big differences in results. That's why it's worth bothering with it. So we have basically come across five problems and five solutions or five sets of solutions. The first one is delusion. Problem number one, delusion being aware of thinking that you're, you know, the, the vacuum delusion that you thinking about the year on year delusion is another way you can call it, which is 
you compare your business with your business last year. And what you need to think about is your business relative to the market. If your market has declined over the last year and your business market share has stayed static, then your business has declined as well. But you need to know which is which because you're in a static market. You'll need to grow market share. I mean, you have to be quite aggressive. Number two, demographics delusion. The solution is know your customer. If you think you're selling to 20 year old women of color and you're selling to 50 year old white men, you're going to have to change everything about your marketing, aren't you? And indeed your product. Solution problem number three is keeping up with changing consumer preferences. There's sort of generic sort of, what's the word? Trends across the culture and from generation to generation, but there's also very much at the moment changes in consumer preferences for the same exact demographic and psychographic. Well, the psychographics have changed because the world has changed. You know, economics has changed before that was a pandemic before that life was quote normal. So we've got to keep up with that. Market research is critical. Staying in touch with the consumers in any way you can is critical. If you are part of your consumer market, that will help. If you know people in that market, that will help. If you know nothing about your consumer, that makes life harder for you. That's a bit of a perverse choice. I would suggest you sell stuff that you understand the consumer for. Problem four, differentiation. It's always a problem, particularly acute in difficult economic times, because if you don't differentiate really, really clean, keenly, people are more price sensitive and they will differentiate on price like never before. Solution is again, market research, know your customer and really make sure you communicate very clear, clean, simple differences of why your product is different from the other products that people see lined up side by side on the results page, search results page. And problem number five, intense competition. Again, always the same on Amazon, but high customer acquisition costs. You particularly need to deal with that in a recession. And the solution is obviously optimize for conversion by doing all the other things right. And then think about the cost of acquiring customer versus average order value equation. That's where the profit or loss comes. And you can keep it to each sale at a time if you want to put it that way on Amazon, because we don't really acquire the customer, do we? Not really. We talked about that separately. So bundling, adding value, and just generally making sure that you can sell at a slightly higher price point or bundle more things together. So the overall value of the sale, the average order value is higher. So you can balance out the slightly increased of acquiring a cost of acquiring a customer and indeed highly increased. So pretty general stuff. But what I think you should be doing is reviewing this as a sort of overall list from macro to micro and thinking about, you know, where do we need to focus our attention? And then you can get all tactical. Good. I'm going to leave that there. Thank you for listening. And the next episode is the next five. So episode strategies six to 10 to grow your e-commerce sales. Thanks for listening. Do you want to grow your Amazon business bigger or faster? I bet you do. If so, a free audit of your Amazon business can help you see and avoid threats and find some golden missed opportunities. Generally, I charge at least $150 an hour these days for my time, but this is free. You can be a reseller or a brand owner. All I ask is that you're doing at least a few thousand dollars a month in sales. If you are, just go to myamazonaudits.com, scroll down, click on Amazon Audit, and book in a time and we'll see each other on a Zoom call. That's M-Y-A-M-A-Z or Z-O-N-A-U-D-I-T dot com. Thank you very much for listening and I hope to see you on a call soon.
Thanks for listening to the 10K Collective podcast for six and seven figure Amazon sellers. I really hope you found the show helpful to you. Please don't forget to subscribe to the show. And if you're on Apple Podcasts, please do leave us a quick star rating. It will take you all of 30 seconds to do it, but it does mean we can be found by and help many more e-commerce business builders. I wish you fast and profitable scaling, and I hope you enjoy the process of building your seven-figure Amazon business. Thanks very much for listening.